Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Let's do a show of hands. How many of you, your parents, when you were a kid, made you play an instrument, okay? Maybe you took piano lessons, you played the oboe in the band, you, you played a tuba like uh, Pastor Petey in Aurora, okay? You can ask him about that. Um, but keep your hands up, okay? But now put your hand down if you stopped playing that instrument once you moved out of your parents' house, okay? And, and if you continue to play that instrument, a lot less than I thought there'd be. How many of you still play that instrument? Okay, a few of you, a few of you. Okay, so here's the question. What is the difference between those of us who continued to play and those of us who stopped playing the instrument. My guess is, is, is that it is not that you did not learn how to play the instrument, it's that you didn't learn to love playing the instrument. You didn't learn to enjoy it, to want it. It probably goes without saying that when you enjoy something, you are more likely to keep on doing it, even after someone tells you, you don't have to do this anymore. You'll still want to, you'll, you'll pursue it. When it comes to spiritual things, and in particular, reading the Bible, our goal for the people that we love should be not just that they learn how to read the Bible, but that they learn to love, to want, to enjoy reading the Bible. We are concluding our two-part series called How to Enjoy the Bible. Last week, we talked about how to enjoy the Bible personally. How many of you are here for Keith Farron's message about that? Oh my goodness, wasn't that fantastic? He did an amazing job. Um, so good. If you did not hear that, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. Keith actually wrote a book on this topic as well. That book is called Like Ice Cream because it's all about helping your family enjoy the Bible like ice cream, okay? Um, and I'll just say this up front. Uh, I read that book. It's, it's so good, and I stole a whole bunch of things from it. So if you hear something good in this message, it probably came from him. You should check out the book. He already gave me permission to steal from him, so that's good. Um, before I get too far, I do want to address those of you who are not parents in the room. I realize this is going to come across as primarily a parenting sermon, but I have chosen my words carefully here. This is a sermon about family. Helping your family enjoy the Bible is not just something that parents and grandparents do for kids. It is something that kids can do for their parents, that spouses can do for each other, that brothers and sisters can do for each other, that best friends can do for each other. Whoever your family is, and I use that in the broad sense of the people you are committed to and you share your daily life with, you should want to share your enjoyment of the Bible with them. To use Keith's metaphor, eating ice cream is delicious by itself, but it is so much more fun when you share it with the people you love. That said, I do especially have in mind parents of younger kids, first through fifth graders, because I'm thinking of those of you who might be involved in our midweek program for kids called Epic. Uh, Epic is really fun. It's a great place for kids to learn about God with their friends. Uh, they do all sorts of fun and games. They sing songs. They have uh, theme nights where it's, you know, crazy hair or dress up like your parents' night. whole bunch of fun. But the main thing, the heart of Epic is getting kids to read the Bible. Not just a kid's version of the Bible, but the actual Bible for themselves. Uh, our church has a four-year reading schedule where we read through the Bible over the course of four years. It's called the Bible Savvy Schedule. And that schedule is both for adults and students, but also for kids. We use the same schedule for our children. And the reason we do that is so that everybody in a family and really everybody in the church can be reading the part of God's word together. So we can be talking about it, helping each other understand it, discussing it like that. And so the really cool thing about Epic is not that someone from the church reads the Bible with your kid. It's that it helps you read the Bible with your kids. 
And so in addition to helping all of us enjoy the Bible more, I'm hoping that those parents who are struggling, like how do I really do this well, will get some help from this message. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be in the book of Psalms today. We're going to be in Psalm 119. The book of Psalms is the worship book of the Bible. It's all of the songs uh, from the history of Israel that were collected together, that these were the songs that God actually gave to his people, saying, I want you to sing these songs to me. And this is actually the longest song in the collection. Uh, Most chapters in the Bible are maybe 20 or 30 verses long. This one is actually 176 verses long, and we're going to read the whole thing, so here we go. (laughs) We're actually just going to read one section, but here's the, here's the thing I want you to think about that, that fact. If you were to guess, before I told you the topic of this sermon, what the longest worship song in the Bible was about, you might have said something like, I bet you it's God's love, or God's power, or God's faithfulness, the sort of thing that we sing about almost every week here at church. But would it surprise you to know that the longest worship song in the Bible is about God's word? It's about the Bible itself. We're going to start reading in verse 9. We're just going to read one stanza of this song. Starts in verse 9, goes to verse 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we reflect on this passage, I've got really just one big idea for us, but that idea has three parts. So here's the first part. Your goal for your family should be to help your family enjoy the Bible. That should be your goal. Let's look at the very first verse of this section here, because I think it highlights the importance, the urgency uh, of this goal. Verse 9 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, when the Bible talks about purity, you've got to be careful not to imagine what a lot of people imagine. This sort of idea of being prim and proper, it's sort of a stuffy idea of purity, okay? I want you to actually think about the meaning of the word pure. What is the opposite of purity? Pollution, being toxic, being poisonous. Pure water is life-giving and refreshing, but polluted water kills, So how can a young person, or any person for that matter, avoid being poisoned by sin? The answer is in the second half of that verse, by living according to your word. If you want to live, don't base your life on what the world says will fulfill you. Don't base your life on fallible, sinful leaders. Don't base your life on your very best instincts. Base your life on what God says in this book. Parents, this should be the primary goal you have for your children, that they would live according to God's word. If you want them to do that for a lifetime, though, the key is going to be getting them to actually enjoy the Bible. And I mean really enjoy the Bible. Let let me read to you a selection of other verses from Psalm 119, and I want you to imagine what would make you say something like this. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love. At midnight, I, get, I rise to give you thanks for, the righteous, for your righteous laws. 
Is that what you do? You wake up, first thought in your mind in the middle of the night is like, oh God, thank you for the Bible, you know? The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I open my mouth and pant, <laughs> longing for your commands. Now, if I met someone who said this about anything other than their spouse, I would think they were a lunatic, right? But here's the question. If you met a person who really actually meant this, would you be worried about their spiritual life? No, you, even if they were new to following God, even if they had a long way to go, even if they didn't know a whole lot of things, even if they were still immature, would you worry about that person? Not really. Why? Because they clearly enjoy, they want the thing that will lead to life and growth and understanding. Now, parents, here's the reality we've got to grapple with. When your children leave home, they will not be ready. They will not be ready for what life is going to throw at them. In spite of what your 22-year-old says, they will not know everything. When your kids move out, they will not have the skills, the character, the wisdom to navigate life. And there is nothing you can do to change that. You cannot provide enough instruction or good experiences or emotional support for them to be ready. Now, all of the parents who dropped off kids at college last week are like, oh gosh, no, this is exactly what I feared, oh no. But it's true. But here's the good news. That was never your job. Your job, parents, is not to provide your kids with everything they need to get through life. Your job is to help them love the one who can provide everything they need to get through life, Jesus. That's actually true in every relationship. In a marriage, your job is, to not, is not to meet your spouse's every need. Your job is to help your spouse know the one who can meet all of their needs. Friends, that is not your job with your friendships. You cannot be there for somebody always and for everything. Be so supportive. Your job with your friends is to help them seek the one who actually can be there for them. That is why one of the number one priorities in our relationships, especially our family relationships, is to help the people we love enjoy the Bible. So parents, here's the question. What is your actual, just be honest, your goal for your children? Like when you imagine success in their life, what does it look like? Now, for many of us, our goal is simply survival, okay? We'd be happy if we can get in and out of Aldi with knowing, you know, wailing on the floor of the produce section. For some of us, our goals are success. We think, you know, I, if I'm a good parent, that means my kids will, you know, make a good team, they'll get into a good school, a good job, they'll have enough money to be comfortable. That's what we're aiming at. For some of us, it's good behavior, you know? If, we're, we're good parents if our kids do what we ask them to, if they're obedient, they do the right things in life. Now, all those things are desirable, but none of them are ultimate, even good behavior. Just think about it. Good behavior can end up like piano lessons. If the only reason they do it is because you made them, it won't last long after you're not in charge of them anymore. You have to help them not just do what is right, but to want what is right. And this is just an important uh, spiritual principle in general. Every person, you've heard me say this, every person has an arrow sticking out of their chest that points at whatever it is they most long for and desire, the thing, the thing they think will satisfy them. And wherever that arrow points, wherever you think you're gonna get life, your behavior follows. Uh, look at what it says in verse 10. It says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. See the connection between the first and the second half of that verse? I seek you with all my heart. The arrow points at you, God. Do not let me stray from your commands. My behavior follows that. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to learn to want to enjoy the things that will give you life. So let me ask the question again. Parents, what is your main goal for your kids? 
My guess is that most of us, whether we're doing it intentionally or we're just on autopilot, are focusing on something other than getting them to love God and his word. Education, athletics, career success, so on. You might actually think that the Bible is really good. You might want your kids to read it, but it probably ranks somewhere down with, you know, hey, keeping your room clean, calling when you're gonna be home late, that sort of thing. Good habits, but not top priorities. I mean, the psalmist says, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold or silver. Which would make you feel like a more successful parent? If your kids ended up rich, but they didn't care all that much about the Bible, or your kids ended up poor, but they loved God's word. What if I actually asked your kids about this? What would they tell me was your top priority for them? Like if they listed, I said, list the top 10 things that your parents want from you out of your life. Would loving scripture even make that list? Would they say, the Bible is more precious to my parents than thousands of pieces of gold or silver? So let's say it was a priority. How would you make that happen? What would help your family actually enjoy the Bible? Here's the second part of the big idea. God wants us to help our family enjoy the Bible by enjoying the Bible with them, by enjoying the Bible with them. I was over at a friend's house and there was a football game on TV and his son sat down on the couch. His son, I think was maybe seven or eight at the time and his eyes were glued on the game. He watched every single play and he reacted to everything. Yes! Oh, come on, he was wide open. Oh, that's a terrible call. Like the whole time, eight years old kid. He, he knew all the players' names. He knew how the season had gone for his favorite team. He was actually able to intelligently comment on both the offensive and defensive strategies of the teams. And he's sitting here, I'm like, I'm really impressed with this. Now, how did this kid get into football? Did it just arise spontaneously in him? He's just wired that way to be into football. He, you know, his parents didn't do anything, he just discovered it. Would you be surprised if I told you his dad also loves football? He, uh, how did he learn to be that passionate? Where did he learn all the information about football? Well, his dad didn't do football lessons. Like, okay, son, let's sit down. Let's review all of the facts that you need to know about football. No, all his dad did was he turned on football on the TV and sat down on the couch. His kid happened to sit next to him and he observed his dad saying all of those same things. And there might've been moments where the dad turned to the son, hey, this is what's going on. And he explained something, but the dad was just doing something he already would have done. And his son picked it up automatically. I see this with all of my friends. Ted's kids love football because Ted loves football. Brian's kids love soccer because Brian loves soccer. My kids love dragons, (laughs) which they must have gotten from their mom. I don't know. (laughs) The most powerful influence on on what a a kid loves is what their parents love. If our families are going to enjoy the Bible, we've got to do it with them. And practically, that means we actually have to spend time regularly reading the Bible together. Now, that is either going to sound like the most ABC obvious thing I could say or the most challenging thing I'm going to say all morning. Verse 16 says this, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I will not neglect your word. Reading the Bible needs to be a regular, normal part of your family's life. So I'm gonna tell you what my family does. And before you roll your eyes and say, there's no way I'm doing what the pastor does with the Bible with his kids, okay? Let me just say this. My family is just like yours, okay? My schedule, my children are just as crazy as yours. Uh, I know lots of families who do the exact same things we do. And we really don't do anything that's all that clever or out of the ordinary, okay? So this is what we do. We basically read the Bible at breakfast and bedtime. So my kids are little, so they get up early, and I'm usually the one who uh, prepares breakfast for them. So we just keep a Bible next to the kitchen table. 
And while we're eating breakfast, I will read the passage that's uh, in our Bible uh, savvy schedule to them. Uh, my kids are, are little enough that I actually usually look a little bit ahead and sort of pick just one part. If it's a really long reading, I got a kindergartner, it's hard for her to listen uh, to a whole big long thing, but I'll, I'll, I'll either read the whole thing or pick a part. And it usually takes about 10 minutes of time while we're eating breakfast to read it and discuss it. And then at bedtime, when we're doing our bedtime routine, I read them a Bible story from a kid's Bible and we sing a song and we pray together. That all together, that takes about 10 to 15 minutes. My wife and I, after the kids go to bed, when we go to bed, we usually read a chapter or two of scripture and talk about it. That takes about 15 minutes as well. So all in all, our family every day takes 30 to 40 minutes of family Bible time. Now, some of you hear that and think, man, that is a ton of time. There's no way I've got time for that. And maybe that's true. Maybe you don't do all of those things. But I'm guessing that most of you have impulsed watched a 40-minute TV show just because it was there. Or you have spent half an hour scrolling through Instagram or Facebook just because it happened. You didn't plan on it. And probably those sorts of things have left, left you more restless, not more connected. And I just think if my number one priority as, as a parent is getting my kids to enjoy God and his word, this is actually a really low-cost, high-impact routine. And it's built into the things we already would have done. I mean, I would have gotten my kids breakfast. I would have put them to bed. That would have happened. So we just built it into that. Plus, it ensures that I have meaningful conversations about the most important things in life with the people I love most in the world. I mean, I don't want to get to the end of my life, the end of my, my parenting, and look back and say, you know what? I never, I was always too busy. I never had time to actually talk about important things with my kids. I promise you, I promise you that if you find a way to work Bible reading into your family's daily routine, you will never regret it. You will never regret it. But how does it actually work? How do you actually do it? Let me give you a little mini lesson here on how to read the Bible to a kid, okay? And this is applicable whether you are a parent or you uh, serve in kids' world or you uh, just know a kid. This is your friend's kids, your nieces or nephews, whatever. Here's how to read the Bible to a kid. Three tools you can use. First, use your voice. Use your voice. If you were here last week, you heard Keith describe how uh, different sections of Scripture have different tones, you know? Some parts are joyful and warm, and some parts are stern. Uh, some parts are action-packed, and some parts are contemplative and thoughtful. As Keith put it, you should read the Bible like you're reading Curious George to a five-year-old, which is really helpful for me because I'm often reading Curious George to a five-year-old. Your goal when reading to a kid is that even if they don't pick up all of the ideas in the passage, they will unmistakably pick up the feeling of the passage. So when I'm reading the Bible, I do voices with my kids. It's not as silly as when we're reading kids' books, but I try to make the characters feel like real people because they were real people, especially Jesus. I want them to hear the compassion in his voice as he heals the woman who had been sick for 12 years. I want them to hear the anger in his voice as he confronts corrupt religious leaders. I want them to hear the power in his voice as he rebukes the storm and calms the sea. I want them to hear his voice. I want, so you need to use your voice. Second tool is this, use questions, use questions. So many parents are intimidated of reading the Bible with their kids because they think that their job is to tell their kids what the Bible means. And since they're confused about the Bible themselves, they're thinking there's no way I'm gonna know what to actually say to them. But I have found that most of the time, my job is not to tell my kids what the Bible means, but to ask them what it means. 90% of what I do when I'm reading the Bible with my kids is simply ask them questions. Here's why this is helpful. First, questions refocus the attention of little wandering minds. They, you ask a question and they're like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. 
Second, if you are doing epic, you know the part of the epic journal that says, what do I see? The part where we do observations for the passage. Questions are the way you help kids make observations to see the things that are actually there in the Bible. Third, and this is one of my favorite things, is it teaches kids that asking questions is not just allowed, but it's encouraged when you're reading the Bible. So many people have gotten the message, like, I'm just supposed to take this in, not, not question it, not wrestle with it. I'm just supposed to hear it and believe it. No, asking questions should be normal when reading the Bible. Reading the Bible should feel like exploring a new place or figuring out a puzzle. You're, you shouldn't just sound like you're reading Curious George. You should sound like you are Curious George. Like, oh, what's this? What's that? You're, you're, it's wonder. It's curiosity. It's amazement. And this is actually true for adults as well. When you run across something in the Bible that you don't understand that makes you ask a question, that's not time to tune out. That's time to lean in. You might actually learn something, discover something new. Fourth reason questions are good is it's just plain fun. I mean, kids love being asked questions. Uh, people are always telling kids what to do and, and informing them of things. Kids love it. When an adult says, hey, what do you think about this? They will want to talk to you about that. And they usually say something funny or insightful or cute. So here, let me teach you some of the questions that I use all the time. The most useful question is actually the simplest question. What does that mean? I say that all the time. So I'm reading along. I come across a word the kids might not know. I say, what does that mean? Temple. What does that mean? What's a temple? They were burning incense. What does that mean? What's incense? The virgin shall conceive. What does that mean? You, you can decide if you want to go there with your kids. It does not matter if my children actually know what the word means. That's not the point. This is not a quiz. You're not, they're not trying to get the right answer. It's curiosity. Sometimes it's even genuine curiosity on your part. There are times when you don't know what that word means, and that's okay. Because remember, the point here is not to teach the, the Bible to your kids. It's to enjoy the Bible with your kids. So when they say, I don't know what that word means, you say, me neither. You want to look it up? You look it up together, and you both learn something. That might actually be a better experience for your kids than just thinking, my parents know all the answers, and I don't. The other most helpful question I use is this. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Sometimes I'll ask, what do you feel about that? I especially like to use this when I get to a part that's challenging or unexpected. Wow, Jesus said that it's hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. What do you think about that? What's great about this is that there really isn't a right answer to that question. There's not this pressure to like get it all right all the time, but simply respond and react and engage. And again, you'll be amazed at what kids say to that. A question I really love when we're reading a story and narrative is, hey, what would you do if you were in that situation? Sometimes I'll stop before we see what actually happens and say, hey, what would, what would you do next? The, the angel appeared to Joseph. What, what would you do if an angel appeared to you in a dream? How would you react? There are all sorts of questions you can ask. Uh, this week, we read Matthew chapter one in Bible Savvy, and Matthew one begins with a list of names. So I got up in the morning and I was like, oh man, there's no way I'm gonna be able to explain this to my kids. What do I do? And then I thought, you know what? I don't actually have to explain this. I'm going to ask them some questions. So this is what I did. I said, hey, kids, this, is a, this passage is going to be a list of a lot of names. It's going to be a lot of weird names. Some of them are funny. Um, but this is Jesus' family. It was like his grandparents and great-grandparents. So I'm going to read it to you. And here's my question. If you know any of these names, I want you to raise your hand. Have you ever heard these names before? So I read through it. And thanks to Kids Bibles and Kids World, they knew some of the names. Abraham. Oh, yeah, they know that. Ruth, oh, yeah, we know that one. Joseph, oh, yeah. Oh, David, yeah. So they knew enough. They didn't know most of them, but they knew enough that they said, oh, I see something. 
And so I got to the end of that and I said, well, that's Jesus's family. What does that tell us about Jesus? And they said, well, one of them was a king. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about that. They said, well, some of those were bad guys. I was like, yeah, yeah, they were. Let's talk about that. Some of them were good guys. Yeah, let's talk about that. I didn't have to teach them anything. I just had to ask them questions. Third thing is this, use emotion. Use emotion. And this might be the most important tool. I think that teaching my kids content of the Bible is absolutely critical. But I think that making the, the right kinds of emotional connections, having the right sort of feelings towards the Bible is equally if not more important. And the reason is that if they engage at the heart level with the Bible, they will also learn the content better and personally connect it to their lives. And so I'm always reacting as we read. I'm always saying things like, wow, oh, cool. Oh, can you believe that? Oh my, all the time. Wonder, amazement, awe, curiosity. These are the things that make someone connect with a book or a story. I'm also always highlighting the imagery that comes up because that usually tells you how to feel about something. So this week we read Jeremiah chapter two. And I I focused on this paragraph that I thought the kids would be able to understand. Verse 13 says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so I asked the question, I said, what's a spring of living water? My third grader's like, um, it's like a river, like a, like a, a cold river. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. It, what, what's it like to drink clean, cold water? And my kindergartner goes, good. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, what's a cistern? They look at me funny, and they're like, they didn't know what that was. My third grader's like, is it like a well or something? I'm like, yeah, kind of like a well. It's like a hole dug in the ground where water comes and fills it up, and it gets kind of gunky and dirty. So which would you rather drink, cool, cold water or gunky, dirty water? And then we're off talking about what does it mean that God is refreshing like cold water, that, that he, he makes us happy and fills us with joy, and we're talking about that. We use emotion. Now, let me put this list up again, the, the ways to read the Bible to a kid. These are the ways to read the Bible to a kid, but guess what they also are? They're the ways to read the Bible to a teenager and the ways to read the Bible with your girlfriend or boyfriend. They're the ways to read the Bible in your community group. This is just the way to read the Bible. This is just good reading. You should use your voice and ask questions and engage emotionally. This, it might not sound as cute or silly or whatever as talking with a kid, but when you do this, it helps you understand the Bible and it also makes it fun. Here's the last part of the big idea. God wants us to help our families enjoy the Bible by enjoying it with them Because the Bible reveals the one who brings true joy. The Bible reveals the one who brings true joy. The Gospel of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus, Jesus gets in an argument with some biblical scholars. These are the guys who, of everybody in the world at that time, probably knew the Bible better than anybody. And they're they're suspicious of Jesus. They're thinking, who is this guy? The things he claims, it's so weird. And in part of the, the argument and the debate, Jesus says this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, you have eternal life. And that's what we're talking about, right? We want our families to engage the Bible because that's where they're gonna find life. But then Jesus goes on to say, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus says that the whole Bible, everything in it, from the stories of creation, to the genealogies, to the histories of Israel, to the kings, to the, the poetry, the visions of the prophets, all of it, every book and page and sentence was put in there for the purpose of pointing people ultimately 
to him. And that's the reason the Bible brings us such joy and delight. Because he is the only one, the only one who brings ultimate, lasting, infinite joy to us. Nothing in all of creation can satisfy us. Nothing else can meet our deepest needs but Jesus. If you have Jesus, you you have everything that you need. All of the riches in heaven and earth are nothing compared to what you have in him. The end goal is not to get people the Bible, but for the Bible to get people Jesus. Now, sometimes people will say that the Bible is like God's love letter to us. And I love that image. It's It's so beautiful. But there are times when you're reading the Bible that it doesn't always help. You think, this doesn't always feel like a letter written to me. Uh, it sometimes feels like a letter, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's talking directly to me. So how, how does that help? For me, I like to think of it more as God's scrapbook. It's a scrapbook. Imagine you had a friend who put together a scrapbook, and they, they gave it to you, and they said, you know, this has got a whole bunch of stuff that's really important to me. And, and I want you to have it, because I think if you look through this, you're going to find out more about me you're going to find out what I care about, my goals and passions in life. You're, you're going to actually find out what I think about you if you look through this. So I want you to have it. So you take that scrapbook home and you, you sit down on the couch and you open it up. And, and what do you find in there? You find newspaper articles about your friend and photos of their family and a handwritten recipe and a, a ticket stub from a concert and some poetry that they wrote and some poetry that was written about them and some collection of philosophical quotes and blueprints for a building and notes they used to pass in class and a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, this is kind of random stuff. Some of it I get, but some of it I'm not sure why or how this connects with my friend. But you know, as you look at it, that your friend put this together really intentionally and they wanted you to have it. And you also know that this friend is brilliant. They're playful, they're creative, they're endlessly fascinating. And so you've come to expect that they usually do things that surprise you. And more than anything, you know your friend really, really loves you. So what do you do with this scrapbook? You dig in, you explore it, you flip through it again and again, and you look for patterns, and you examine tiny little details, and you make big connections, and you, you, you take time to let things make you laugh and make you think and, and move you. And the whole time as you're doing it, you, you think, okay, what does this say about my friend? Why would they include that in there? What, what are they trying to show me with this? Because that's the whole premise of the scrapbook. It's to help you know your friend better. Now imagine that you're not just at home alone with this scrapbook, but your friend comes over and actually sits down on the couch next to you. And you're flipping through it together. And there are times when he's just letting the scrapbook speak for itself. But as you read, you react and you ask him, you say, hey, why is this in here? Where's this from? Tell me more about this. And see, that, that is the point of the Bible. I mean, Keith talked about this last week. We're supposed to read the Bible relationally. It's all about coming to know Christ more deeply, to love him more, to be with him, to spend time with him. And that's why when we are reading the Bible with our families, especially with children, we should always be moving the conversation towards how will you respond to Jesus? This week, one of the passages in Bible Savvy, like I said, was Matthew 1. And after the list of genealogies, there is the story about the angel coming to Joseph to say, Mary's going to have this baby. And we were reading through that. We got to this verse that said, and they will call him Emmanuel. So I asked a question. I said, what does that mean? What's Emmanuel? And the kids didn't know what that meant. Fortunately, the passage actually explains it for me. It says, which means God is with us. I said, wow, God is with us. What would that be like if God were with us? And so I said, what would happen if we invited Jesus over for dinner tonight? And my kindergartner says, I hope he comes. (laughs) Yes, yes. 
And then she started to say, I want to sit by, and she interrupted herself. And she kind of giggled. And, and I said, what are you thinking, sweetheart? She said, we'd probably fight over who gets to sit by him. I was like, oh, that's totally true. Oh, my goodness. But then she came up with a solution. She said, well, if we had a donut table, he could sit in the middle, and all of us could sit by him. I was like, amazing. That's so good. But that's the point, right? The point of reading the Bible, reading the Bible with our families is we want them to say, I want to be so close to Jesus. I would love to sit down and have a meal with him and be as close to him as I can be. And I, and I actually want to make space for other people to be that close to him too. See, this is, this is why we do that. Because being near to Jesus, it comes through reading his word and being near to Jesus is the place where you will find true joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is what we want. We want to hear you, be close to you. God, we do struggle. It's a hard book, God. We're honest about that. But we want to delight in it. We want to find joy in it. We want to find it to be not just a challenge, but something that we're eager and pursuing. So God, we pray that you give us that sort of heart that makes your word taste like honey to our mouths, that that it becomes more precious than gold or silver. It becomes a light for our path. And God, we pray that through that, you would draw us close to you. That as we read your word, we would want nothing more than to be close to you, sharing a meal with you, which is what we're gonna do right now. So God, be present with us, even today as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen.